I want to just start this by asking God to guide my mind and my tongue and my lips today as I speak to you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch your heart in a powerful way. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this, as we end this year and we enter a new year, I thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I predict 2021. Sometimes people say, well, how do you, how do you predict things? Well, every New Year's Eve, almost every New Year's Eve, I made it my habit to spend time with the Lord. And even in the days leading up to it, and just opening my spirit uh, to, to see if God is speaking something to me. And so again, that's what I'm doing today. And I always am mindful that God deals in the affairs of nations and individuals. Think about it. God is not just sitting somewhere on an elevated cloud in the sky somewhere. God is working with real people. God works with nations. And then I also note that to discern our time, to be able to discern the time in which we live, it is a spiritual exercise. You know, some things you just, you, you just know. You can just read the newspapers. You figure out some things that are happening. But, but some things to look deeper, it is a spiritual exercise. And I'm reading from Matthew chapter 16. When it is evening, Jesus is speaking here. He says, when it's evening, you say... It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you're unable to discern the signs of the time. So Jesus is saying here, you have all kinds of general knowledge. You can figure things out. For example, in our, in our world today, we could talk about COVID, 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 COVID. After all, it's, it's the word of 2020, they tell us. You know, one of the popular search engines listed the 10 most popular searches, and number one was Donald Trump. And then somewhere third, fourth, fifth was uh, um, Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry. And the rest of the top 10 were all related to COVID-19 and people looking for uh, financial support in various ways. So it was all somehow connected. So, of course, we can see and understand certain things. We know that, that, that for example, the nation of China uh, has had a long-standing policy of wanting to uh, dominate and become the number one superpower. We can talk about many things, but... But to really look at it spiritually, it takes spiritual discernment, spiritual eyes. Now, a year ago today, on New Year's Eve, I spoke of three challenges that I believe would intensify in the year that's behind us, 2020. I talked about that there would be a, 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 an erosion of the gospel inside the church. And that had already started. And, and, and then I talked about that we would face an epidemic of social ills. At that point, no one knew anything about COVID-19 and that one of the side effects would be a, a, an escalation of domestic violence, suicide, opioid-related deaths, abuse. We hear in just about every jurisdiction, uh, when, as the statistics come out, the, the, the terrible state uh, people mentally can't cope. And uh, we talked about how the church of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ is front and center because it cleanses from guilt and, and it sets us free. And then I talked about an attack 
that would intensify in 2020 on freedom of speech. Who could have ever guessed? I just felt it in my spirit that, that there would be so much censorship. You know, I've lost count how many times just in our little ministry, well, not so little, but, but uh, how we've been censored by Facebook, for example. I lost track. I, I, I saw one report here that the U.S. president had been, by one social media, censored 600 times. And that I, I, I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought? I, I thought we would just all, you know, everybody could read things and either disagree with the writer and think it was terrible what he or she said or agree with it. But, uh, and we were concerned about the freedom to speak the name of Jesus Christ, this freedom uh, to speak from, from the scripture, uh, that that could also be threatened. And so I opened my spirit, and the very first thing that came to me is I believe we are entering a period of unprecedented, sustained anger in society. You can see that probably video playing there. We have seen it, you know, from so many places, especially in the United States, a little bit in Canada as well. And I don't know what part of the world you're watching tonight, but there seems that people are angry like never before. You, you know, some people are angry at the government for not doing enough in, in, in this uh, COVID-19 some people have, may have lost a loved one. They may have lost uh, someone who was in a long-term care home and they didn't even get to sh say a, a proper goodbye to them or have a proper funeral, and they are angry. They said the government should have shut everything down. Others are angry because uh, they see so many conflicting stories and conflicting statistics, and the experts are changing their mind. And they see hypocrisy. Politicians tell us, stay at home, stay at home. And they take trips to wherever, Caribbean or Hawaii or someplace. And people are angry. They feel that there's an attack on, on, on me as a person. Where's my life going? We are, and, and I begin to see that uh, this anger is going to bring its own side effects. It's going to bring more violence. People lash out, domestic violence, more abuse, more pain, more hurt. You see, angry words, angry thoughts, angry actions, angry movements. And I just can only see that it's going to escalate. And we need to pray. Here I want to say this is a time to pray. And I'm going to come back to this topic of anger later on. But this is a time to pray for our country for United States, for Asia, Africa, whatever country you're in. Uh, because when anger is unleashed, people lose their rationale and their sense of bearing. I, I see unity and division in the church. I see that among those for whom Jesus Christ is the light of the world, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the Savior of the world, among those people, you know there's going to be an increased unity even more as we go forward. But there's also a division. And maybe there's always been that. You know, division isn't always negative. I know we think division is terrible. And, and in certain contexts it is, but Jesus also spoke about it. He said in, in, in Matthew 10, 34, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He was talking about 
how his gospel would cut right into a family, right into a town, between friendships, and people would have to make a choice. And then the Hebrew writer challenging the Jewish people said something similar, uh, Hebrews 13, 13, uh, so then let us go out to him, that's to Jesus, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. He was drawing a, a distinct markation here. He was saying, uh, don't be tempted to go back to the old religious way. There's always a religious system that beckons you. Come, come, come be with, come with, come back, come back. Don't, don't be so all out with, with Jesus and his gospel. And so he says, you know, we go outside. We take, even if it's a reproach, we take that. And, and that means that there was a division that those uh, Jewish believers, those early believers faced. And I think today, there's a line of markation. There's a line of markation between those who advocate only a, a, a cultural Christianity, a belief system that is often quite Christless, not much counting on Christ doing anything now. It's often very cessationist. And, and, and the belief is that there's no gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't expect God to do something. Don't expect you to, don't expect you to pray that God would protect people even during a pandemic. And, and, and that stands on the one side of the line. And on the other side, there are those who say, no, Jesus is alive now. Christ is now. And even the, the verses just previous to the ones I quoted says Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever and so that's how the Hebrew people were encouraged when there was a line of marcation coming up I think that line is between people who who, who advocate a limited gospel that Jesus's blood was shed his death was only for those who who are predisposed uh, to inherit eternal life rather than outside the camp, outside of the religious system. There his blood was shed for the whole wide world. And so I see that. I see a, a line of marcation for even those for whom the gospel seems to be only a, a threatening ultimatum rather than a loving proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I see that charismatic Pentecostal religion is running out of steam. You know, statistics are clear. I don't need to have special spiritual insight to see that young adults who were raised in evangelical churches, sometimes Pentecostal, sometimes charismatic churches, are leaving in droves. And I think we have a choice. Either continued stagnation and decline or a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. You know, there are cycles. I want to describe some cycles to you, spiritual cycles. If I, if I be, describe the first cycle, if you go back to about the year 1900, if you study the history of what was happening in the church, there was this dryness. There was this sense that we're not impacting the world. People are praying. This happened over in Europe. This happened in America. And then... We believe in answer to prayer. In 1907, there was the Azusa Street outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You can see the picture there of that apostolic faith gospel mission. Look at that rundown building. And there they gathered for months and months and for years, actually. And, uh, you know, one of the main proponents, William Seymour, he said that he said it felt like we were just swimming in a river of pure love. 
Uh, they encountered God's love. How, how, how correct is that according to the Scripture? that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And then that resulted in an explosion of uh, preaching God's grace and missions. They understood the book of Acts chapter 1, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power to be witnesses to me, and not only where you are, but to the ends of the earth. This was characterized by it. And then, you know, as the decades went by, what often happens is, that something that's very fresh and alive, it becomes stale, it becomes entrenched. And so already by the late 1950s, there were, you know, Pentecostal denominations and they had started to feel like we own this and they were fighting over doctrines. They were debating is speaking in tongues, is it the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or is it just and evidence. Can you be baptized in the Holy Spirit without speaking in, in tongues? They, there was all kinds of discussions, and, and it became very entrenched, very legalistic. If you study the early couple of decades, you see how the grace of God flowed in such a great way. And so that kind of the, a 60-year cycle from hunger to great life and explosive power, and then things got stale. Of course, I, I, I'm generalizing. For some people, this took 20, 30, 40 years more for this process to play out. But then in 1960, a big shock, a shock to the Pentecostal world, all the denominations at that time, a shock. A man, an Anglican minister called Dennis Bennett from Washington State, there is his picture, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, it, and the newspapers wrote about it. It became world news. It was unheard of. He was initially kicked out of his church, and then later on he was hired for in a different parish. But what I want to point out to you, this was something so new. I remember, because I was a little boy, I remember the old Pentecostals with who I was more associated with, said, that, that couldn't be God. They don't baptize people like we do. That couldn't be. You know, do you really think God could do that? Could God baptize? To us today, that seems like, of course, God can do that. But that's how they were thinking. You see, it's very easy to become entrenched. And this is how it is. And we have monopoly on God. Then later on, a couple of years after that, Cardinal Suenus, you'll see his picture there. He, uh, a cardinal in the Roman Catholic Church at the Vatican Council, he began to uh, discuss and, and speak and, 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 and uh, about how the Roman Catholic Church needed to open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, if it had been a shock to Pentecostals that, that an Anglican was baptized in the Holy Spirit, when the news came in the mid-60s that Roman Catholics are speaking with other tongues, and we heard from places like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Notre Dame University in Michigan. There were suddenly groups, and suddenly there were thousands of people. And, and if, if the Azusa Street revival was that we are like swimming in a river of pure love, the, 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 the common saying among the Roman Catholics at that time was, what has this done for you? They were, they were saying, Jesus has become so real to me. Doesn't that sound like the Holy Spirit who has come to remind us of Jesus Christ? So that was beautiful. And so that, that, that 
maybe 20-year period. And again, I'm just, for, for teaching purposes, I'm just making these, mentioning these years, but it could be 20 years longer in one part of the world and a little bit less in another part of the world. For example, the Jesus Movement. You see that uh, Time magazine cover there? You know, when that came out, I was just getting into my teenage years, and, uh, and, and, and there was big news. Hippies, you know, they were smoking weed, and they, they didn't bath very much, and they didn't cut their hair. You know that, that I still remember that shock. You said, could, could some, some old Pentecostal says, well, they should cut their hair first before God uh, should do that. Well, see, that's the thing. You and I are not God. What was happening was that what you saw happen back there in, in the book of Acts, remember what it says on the day of Pentecost, Aren't these Galileans just simple country folks? And you hear them speaking in their, our own language, the wonders of God. And this is how could it be that God uses these simpletons? That's always a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. Not that they were simpletons, but maybe they appeared like that. Because sometimes people don't know how to value other people, so they just use that kind of, um, but, and so that was beautiful. I remember that time, you know, and what strikes me about all this, God used ordinary people. I sound like the book of Acts. Not many noble, ordinary people. And again, you know, when, the, when, when in Azusa Street, you just saw that building, you know, the, the, the apostolic faith mission there. It wasn't any beautiful cathedral. It, it was just simple things. I looked at some of the key players. I mean, look at William Seymour. I think we got his picture for you. Just a, a black preacher, 1907. He was like the pastor there in, in Azusa Street. And, and I guess nobody thought he, he would amount maybe to something great, but he did. You see, God used ordinary people. I think about, I know you're watching all over the world, but one of our famous Canadians is Amy McPherson. Now, hold on in a moment. I'm going to introduce it. I got a little 20-second video clip. I mean, she was just a little girl from Ingersoll over here. And, and she used to go to the Salvation Army down in Fergus in Ingersoll, Ontario, those parts. And, and, and then one time she was there praying, and it snowed so much they couldn't open the door. And she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She became a world shaker. She started a, a whole denomination that sent out thousands of missionaries. You know, I happened to come across a little video with, with Amy McPherson from Ingersoll. This is her preaching, I think, about in the 1920s. And she's talking about Daniel and the lion's dead. Don't miss this. Don't take your eyes off the screen. Here we go. Speaking of Daniel and the lion's den. I hear someone coming now. My word. <laughs> Hello. The Bible says that in the millennium, the lion and the lamb shall lie down together. One usually thinks that the lamb lies down inside the lion these days. Well, that inspired me. You know, I, I've, I've preached some illustrated sermons. We have had donkeys and horses and camels and just about everything else, but I haven't brought a lion up yet. I might have to change my mind, but, but that's beside the point. Uh, what fascinates me is these are just, no, nobody thought God would work with this. Even, even Amy, she had so much personal trouble, divorces, different things. You see, sometimes we, 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 we put people up on a pedestal and we think, if God's going to do something in our generation, it's going to be such and such. God has had shocks, and I predict, I'm not saying it's all going to happen in 2021, but I predict there's going to be a shocking outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. It's going to be bigger, stronger, more powerful, but some of the principles will be the same. Now, 
Here's another one. While I'm talking, my friend Harold Bredesen, him and I became good friends. Here he is with then president of, of uh, Egypt, Anwar Sadat, smoking a pipe. And if you knew Harold Bredesen like I knew him, it's just incredible that God would take a Lutheran minister, you know, again, according to us Pentecostals, he had the wrong baptism formula. He had the wrong, some of the wrong doctrines. And he, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And after that, says nobody wanted to have him as a pastor. His own father was so embarrassed. And, and Harold Bredesen used a hitchhike from the, along the eastern seaboard of the United States. Uh, he spent the whole week hitchhiking to Florida and back to his home again just to have someone to witness to in the car. You know, and then he was the one, if you watch that whole video from CBN, 700 Club at the time, back many, many years ago, 1976, I think it was, that's where the initiative came for the whole peace agreement with Jimmy Carter, President of the United States, Menachem Begin, Prime Minister of Israel, and Anwar Sadat came together. I, I mean, isn't it amazing? These were just, these were not the ones that anybody would have picked. You see, God always uses, I, th I think of Demos Shikarian, who started the full gospel businessmen's fellowship. You know, uh, he was a dairy farmer. He wasn't a, even a Bible school graduate. And we, we all, for Bible school graduates, we hope that you come to our Bible school and study. Uh, but, but he was, uh, and I met this man as well, just a very young, young boy I met him. I just, by accident, happened to meet him. I don't know how the Lord let these things happen. And just the most ordinary person. And he started something called Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. You know, as a young boy, I was 15. My father took me to Chicago to their International World Conference. I was so amazed. All these businessmen, they weren't having leadership gatherings or prosperity seminars. They were out, they were out there just witnessing, praying for people. I remember there at the lobby of the Conrad Hilton Hotel, people would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, just as they're saved. What I saw here was a What's happened? That's how it started. This thing we call the charismatic, and it was, it was just ordinary people. It was good old druggies who met Jesus. And now we have these ministries and big men of God, and we have all this. You know what? We've drifted a long way. We've gone through another cycle. I'm tired of it. We've gone far away from the simple Galileans. You know, we, we have different tangents. We have those who, who, who just tradition. I mean, you have people who say, we, we're Pentecostal, but don't anybody ever sing in the spirit. And then you have people who are in this crazed craving for manifestations. They just want to, they want to feel things. It's a selfish thing. Others have just, everything is leadership and structure and you serve your leader and you obey your leader. And of course, all these things have good points. Then you have this, the man of God, honor the man of God. It's all the man. You see, in the, in the book of Acts, in the early part of the Azusa Street movement, in the charismatic movement, but it was none of that. It was people. It was the gentle priesthood of believers. Uh, friends, we, we have drifted. We have, and that's why I see and I predict there's another outpouring of God's Spirit coming in. Even the gift of prophecy has become abused and put it on the screen there. I've noticed, and I want to put a contrast between Americentric prophecies versus Christ-centered prophecies. You say, what? leave it there for a moment. What's an Americentric prophecy? Well, that's, I made up that word just to 
make my point. I've noticed it's like a cottage industry. Prophecy seminars and books and People find Bible code books and they find the names of U.S. presidents in the hair. You know, you can find just about anything if you use the right statistician, by the way. And they, not even in the last election, they prophesy, thus saith God says for sure, the next four years, you know, who's going to be president. You know, this goes on and on and on. And, you know, I want to warn my friends from all over the world. All my Christian friends in Africa, you get caught. Because from America, must be good, must be God. Famous prophet so said so so so. You know what? This thing is running out of steam. Your these so-called prophets are embarrassing us all. People, no wonder people, young adults, are walking away in droves. Who wants any part of this nonsense? Get out of the cesspool of this cottage industry. Prophecy, you know, see. We say, well, prophesy, so-and-so is going to happen. This person is going to elect, get elected. This is going to happen. First of all, is God even, why, first of all? Or, or this, you, you know, prophecy is Christ-focused. It says in, in Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so prophecy is focused on Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, I, I've often, if you watch our telecast, a lot of things I like about President Trump. I think they got his uh, picture right there in case you didn't know what he looked like, which you've probably been in a cave for a few years if you don't. I mean, he's done a lot of good things. I like the fact that he's limited a little bit the opportunity for, for you know, kind of free-for-all abortion legislation, peace deals, four Middle Eastern peace deals. That's great. I, many, many things like that. No wars, no new wars. I like that. But you know, then when people say, well, he's the only thing that stands behind us, between us and the Antichrist, I think you got your eyes in the wrong direction. And I know my American friends, I have a lot of friends across the United States, they agree with me. It's not like Americans are swallowing this. <laughs> you know, many American believers, they see this. They see, you know, you can only talk America first, Canada first so long because it's seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so I, I warn you, my fellow charismatics, I know many Christians are not into this, but I'm speaking to a lot of charismatic Christians. I warn you, if you put your trust in man, you think that americentric prophecies is something to follow, and that's so exciting, and so-and-so, and they always, he's a renowned prophet. Renowned by who? Real prophets prophesy Jesus Christ. Prophesy Jesus Christ to the nations. I've been amazed in the last few months. I have read lengthy prophecies by renowned prophets, page upon page, and Jesus Christ is not even referenced once. Not once. Friends, this is running out of steam. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that takes us back to basics, to what this was all about. I'm swimming in a river of pure love. Jesus Christ has become real to me, and God is working powerfully through ordinary people. But you see, that's what happened, the cycle that started maybe around 1960 when Dennis Bennett, that Anglican Episcopalian vicar, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's kind of running out of steam. It's run amok. It's time for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I say, here's something else. I talked about anger. I believe in a loving anger. 
that's going to move believers into our purpose. You say, Peter, what do you mean with a loving anger? Is there such a thing as a loving anger? Well, I'm not talking about that negative, diabolical kind of anger that makes people riot in the streets. But there's another kind of anger that is a positive, loving emotion that propels people to action. Let me read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath and give no place to the devil. Now, we all know what people think that verse means. And a few verses later it says, let all anger be put away from you with all malice. But, but go back to that previous verse, verse 26 there. Now, generally this verse, leave it up there for a little bit. This verse has been translated to mean that, you know, it's okay to be angry. Just don't get angry, you know, when you, don't, don't be angry when you fall asleep. And, and just confess your sins before you go to bed. You can be as angry. Is that the Bible? Jesus talked about anger against the brother. Anger can cause people to murder. You can do a whole lot of damage being in a rage all day long. Is that, would that line up? And then is this that all anger? I suppose even the anger that lasts for the day, let that be gone. So I would suggest maybe that verse has been misunderstood. This conventional way, well, you know, we all get a little angry. You know, God understands. It's good to be just ripping mad and, you know, whatever you want to do to somebody. But just confess it before you go to bed. I suggest there's something else in here. And I'll back it up. You'll see. I suggest that there's a command here. There's two kinds of anger spoken of. The one that says, let all anger be put away. That's speaking of that negative kind of anger. But there is a Holy Spirit inspired anger and fervor that arises by the Holy Spirit inside of us. And there's a command that says, be angry. That's what it says. It says, be angry. You can read it there. And don't sin. In other words, if you're not angry, that means you're sinning in some way. And, and, and don't stop being that way. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. To keep up this indignation. Don't seize it. Don't give up. Let this kind of inner fervor. Let, let, let me, let me, I'll give you more verses. You'll see where I'm going because maybe you'll say, I'm not ready to accept that interpretation. I've always heard it the other way. Stay with me. I suggest the way you read it, and you can read it in your interlinear Greek New Testament. It says, be angry. Because if you're not angry, you're going to give place to the devil. You have to have a certain passion, a certain fervor, and keep it up. Don't let the sun go down on it. You see, God gave you a temperament. Sin didn't give you a temperament. Now, sin perverts it. It's like love. You know, love is a very good, good thing, but it can be perverted. Joy is a very good thing, but it can be perverted. And what it says here, without this godly kind of passionate anger that Paul is talking about here, you actually give room to the devil. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel eleven six. 6. Pay close attention. It says, the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and his anger was greatly aroused. There's a negative anger. I predict that. It's going to increase more and more. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray that, that, you know, this violence that could just explode on the streets will not destroy our countries, not just Canada, United States, but around the world. 
But there's another kind of anger that comes. And, and in Saul's life, he was told that Israel was going to become slaves. And if they didn't do so willingly, all the men would have their right eye plucked out. And so it says the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and his anger was aroused. That means he was, he was taking action. He, 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 had, he got an inner conviction, an inner resolve. I have to rise up and do something. There's a problem. When people just have belief systems, they have thoughts, they have ideas, but there's no passion in it. They don't even have the, the, the potential to be aroused. It's just a, a, a something that they believe. You know, something I'm stirring in you today to rise up to learn to hate deception, hate defeat, hate anything that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let, let, let me give you more. You, let me say also about David. Remember David? What, what made David fight Goliath? He couldn't stand that Goliath was defying the living God. He said, somebody's got to do something. That was the Spirit of God on David. And so it's not that negative. You're mad. You're in a rage at the world. The government, this and this and that, and this political party. No, it's not that. It is a spiritual fervor. Don't let it go down. Don't let the sun set on it. Look, look at this. Jesus who lives in us is temperamental. Hebrews, you may not have thought of Jesus that way, that Jesus, sweet Jesus, meek and mild, well, that's part of it, but he's temperamental. Hebrews 1 says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So here it seems to indicate that if you love something, you would hate the opposite. It's like if you love seeing people heal, you hate seeing what sickness does to people. Opposite ends of the same stick. If you love the light of the gospel, you say, I just love when the light of the gospel comes on people. Then most likely you also hate with a passion the darkness that binds people in futile, grotesque religion. They don't see who God is. You know, it's, it's true. I love Tina, so I hate anything that would hurt her. Natural. Look at this here. It says in Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord, which means the awe of the Lord. I'm just awed by the Lord, is to hate evil. It says in John 2, Jesus, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. I mean, I got a picture of it here, <laughs> famous um, artistic depiction. I love that. I mean, Jesus just, he looked so meek and mild in the face there, but I tell you, I don't think he looked like that. He, he lost it. He, he says, I've had it with this. Jesus was not this little feeble, you know, I don't want to disturb anybody. I don't want, oh, I want to make sure I act in love now. See, real love has fervor to it. So he, he, he what was it? He, he, why didn't he go to all the businesses? Because this particular business going on in the temple, they were selling doves and lamb and oxen and heifers. 
and they were especially blessed by the priests, so they overcharged, and they used special coins that were blessed by the, pre by the priests. It was all a money-making scheme to make it so difficult for common people to come to God, make God seem unapproachable. And, and you know, that, that kind of thing is still going around. It's part of this. Uh, people are trying to make it so hard to come to God. Jesus said, I've had it with that. He, he showed temperament. Let me read more. Mark 3, 5. It says, he looked at them with anger. Can you imagine that? Jesus looking with anger at the people. He said, well, I never pictured Jesus like that. Well, I'm reading it right out of the Bible. <laughs> I can never in my wildest imagination think that Jesus would be. He says, he looked at them with anger, being grieved. So the anger was propelled by grief because of the hardness of their hearts. So he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So here's a man with, you know, I try to, maybe his hand was all withered or drawn. He couldn't pull it out and Jesus was about to heal them and they heartlessly said, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. It's a Sabbath day. And, and he says, Jesus was angry and he was angry with grief because they wanted to withhold God's light and blessing from this man over some doctrinal dispute. You see, you see, the only time you see Jesus angry is when religious people uh, try to keep others in spiritual darkness. You know, Paul's temperament mirrors Jesus. Paul lost it sometimes. He lost it. Uh, I mean, one time, I hate to say this on a New Year's Eve, but he, uh, he advocated castration. I look at the camera that's on me. He advocated castration of those who were trying to pull people back into the religious system. It says in Galatians 5.12, I wish that those who are troubling you would even emasculate themselves. I mean, that's not a meek and mild little fellow with no opinions. Say, I just don't want to disturb anybody. You see, there's something today in our society, and we're going to face it. We faced it in 2020. We're going to face it even more in 2021. There's something that wants to intimidate you. Don't say anything. Don't express yourself. You know, keep your head down. Sometimes you can see people who spent their whole life being raised in a dictatorship. They actually walk down the street with their head down. They don't even make eye contact. They don't want anybody to see them because I don't want to cause any trouble. I just want to keep to myself. You know, there's that kind of an attitude today, but, but thank God there's an answer to it, an outpouring of God's Spirit. Look at this. Galatians 2.14, Paul said, uh, uh, he, he, he said concerning Peter, he says, when I saw that they... Peter and Barnabas were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter, and he, he went on and just told them. Galatians 1, 9, he says, I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. I mean, he's using strong word. If you read the whole context, he says, you know what he calls people who are trying to take the gospel of God's grace away from people and bring them under a religious system? He calls them perverts. You say, well, I wouldn't want my pastor to do that. Well, I guess you wouldn't want the Apostle Paul to be your pastor. He even says, well, if an angel came and preached, or if even I came and changed my mind and preached a new message, he says, let him be accursed. It was strong language. You know, that's the only time that the word cursed is used in any negative way in the New Testament. It's Paul here. 
He's saying, if, 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 if you're going to preach this pretend gospel, which isn't a gospel at all, this anti-grace gospel that only brings people under self-loathing as they see their inability to live up to the prescribed standard of the religion. He says, if you're going to preach that, and it, it brings people into this twisted fear of God, where they feel that I could never reach God. This, this pretend gospel that says that, that, that blessing, healing, salvation, whatever I want from God is all dependent on what? On my self-effort. And he says, you know, cursed be that. He uses strong language. And so I submit to you in Ephesians 4 when it says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, lest the devil get a foothold. He's talking about another kind of passion. If you just read it like it says, it couldn't mean anything else than what I'm telling you, even though we have tried to teach around that and advert words here and there to what Paul is writing. He's talking about a fervor. Jesus had it. He, he was angry at what religion would do. Saul experienced, Paul experienced here. And, and so in this day, when we potentially have so much damage that could happen in the year that's before us. So much, you know, people don't just get angry. They have a sustained anger. Some have a hatred against God. Well, we're not going to match that. We're not going to do like some Christians. We're going to get all political and says, well, if the world is angry, I'll show them. I'll get my gun and I'll go out there and I'll show. No, we're not going to do that. But we have another kind of anger. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. And that is, for example, I can say in my life, I have had a sustained anger that the gospel has not yet reached every person. I have had a sustained anger at the seeming disinterest, even for many Christians, to give the gospel to others. A sustained anger at, 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 at Christless religion that just makes it a cultural phenomenon. That schemes that drain people away, drain their energy away from what our purpose is. So what I see today, yes, I see some negative things. I see a number of things on the horizon, but I also see a great reset. You know, uh, the World Economic Forum, and it's generally known for its annual convention in uh, Davos, Switzerland, the founder of that particular movement that attracts all the, you know, the, many of the leaders of nations. Uh, our prime minister has been there numerous times. Other prime ministers, presidents, President Trump has been there, a number of them, and leaders in business. Well, he's calling for a reset. Many Christians are concerned about that. I'm concerned about it as well. Uh, we, we know that we, we hear of, of, of the Chinese Communist Party infiltrating all levels. I heard, uh, you know, in Europe and all over, infiltrating and, and, and influencing uh, and wanting world domina domination and a great reset. And so, yes, we could be very frightened by that. But what I'm calling for is a great spiritual reset. And if it happened in the day of Pentecost and it happened in the early 1900s, and there was a refreshing, I would say, between 1960 to 1980. And now it's kind of gone stale again. So I predict it's going to be shocking. I put these characteristics down. It's going to be Christ-centered. Just like those Catholic charismatics said it down in Notre Dame, we, we, Jesus Christ has become real to us. And it's going to be shocking. It always was shocking. 
just those who think we, we got the anointing. It's, it's our prayers that are going to do it. I tell you, I don't know what that shock is going to mean because likely I'm going to be shocked too. I'm going to be shocked at some of the people that Jesus is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and he's going to work through them powerfully. I just want to be a part of it. So be humble. That's going to be transformational and empowering just like it always has been. Like it always has been. And that is what I predict. I'm not saying you see, it's going to all happen in 2021. I didn't say that. I believe that the, 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 what happened half a century ago is running out of steam. People lost touch with what's what all about. And I predict there's something fresh from the Holy Spirit. And you're a part of it.